Good afternoon, everybody, or good morning, or it's five o'clock somewhere, wherever you are. Uh, Todd Crandall, founder of Executive Director, and we're going to start off this episode with uh, an awesome guy, Eric Donati, and I'm trying to figure out why you're wearing that dumb hat. Do I? Because not everybody's perfect, and by that I mean you. Okay, so we're off and rolling. Um I, I normally don't take notes. I don't have notes. I just have a, a plethora, which you know is the only smart word I can use, right? And use well. And use well. So I have a plethora of topics I have to make sure I hit with you uh, okay. today. So I'm going to start with this. Is tomorrow a significant day for you by any chance? Uh, it is, actually. It's my one year of consistent sobriety and by far the best year I think I have ever spent sober in my memory anyway for sure. Congratulations on that and I'm going to come back to it. I want to talk to you about the first day I met you. I want to know what you endured to allow me the pleasure to meet you. Oh wow. Um, Yeah that was a that was a long day for sure. Um, I had just uh, come out of the PHP program at another place over here that was kind of linked into the detox that I had gone through. And there were some issues with my insurance. I, uh, through the destruction of my deciding to u- to drink again, um, I had lost my previous job, which through my insurance over there, um, it just uh, certain things weren't covered when I came to and I wanted to come to racing for recovery. So in the process over there, I had tried to switch over to uh, Medicaid and somehow it got dropped. The ball got dropped over there. So push came to shove and I had to be out of housing. I had nowhere to go. I, you know, I was essentially homeless through, again, my behaviors and the decisions I had made. Um, so at that point, I kind of got stuck to where I had no insurance at this point. My insurance had stopped the day before, um, but it didn't matter. You know, it was it was just it wasn't going to apply here. And I knew that I was up against a wall of, you know, I, I there is a possibility I could have stayed with with relatives or something. But I had just really burnt people at that point, you know, doing this again. So it was a very awkward situation. I. Uh, I ended up walking downtown basically to the uh, job and family services office that day. It was I think the 3rd of August and uh, I it took s- several hours to get there and I didn't have any money anything to take buses whatnot. So I went down there and they I, I signed up for the Medicaid and they told me okay, well it's going to be a little while for you to wait, you know, wait for this to go into effect. And I, I told him my situation that I was uh, trying to get into racing for recovery and that I, I, I must have found an angel while I was there because, you know, the lady said, okay, well, hang out here and see what we can do to, to expedite the process. So I sat up there for a few hours and lo and behold, they got me the information that I needed that day. And so I walked back here and came in and started to talk to Dan and uh, he told me just hang out and we'll get you taken care of and absolutely did that day so I got into the housing and into the IOP program and first day of the rest of my life so it was an amazing event and then that day you obviously uh, I don't want to fill in your end but you had come out to me and said introduced yourself and I think I called you sir 
and that was quickly quashed. Um, We're going to pick that back up again, <laughs> right. but go ahead. But uh, that was, it was really amazing to me. Um, you know, I had seen you on TV. I had, I had, I, I had knowledge of you. I had seen you in the papers and whatnot, but I had never met you before. And you came out and shook my hand and basically told me that I mattered. And that was the beginning of something that I knew felt completely different and was a big catalyst in um, what I what I really believed and wanted to be a permanent change. And it was just, it got everything off. And the, I, I've, I've had people tell me that, you know, in the past that I matter to them and, and whatnot. I, my mom, you know, has been there and, and, and supported me. But it was it was different that you had no link to me. It was just, you know, you're worth this. And it was an amazing start. So I want to ask you a couple of questions in that. You mentioned walking down there on July 3rd, it was, not August, right? If we're putting a, I'm trying to get some chronological stuff together, but doesn't really matter. Oh, August 3rd, because I came into the program on August 6th is when I started. In okay. Here. Yep. So you mentioned walking. Mm -hmm. Can you put a total miles on that? Because I have a point in asking you that. So you walked down to Job and Family Services, I which was, was... I think it was a total... It was about a total of 20 miles, I think. Okay, in one day yeah. to get here. Being around Racing for Recovery as long as you have, would we have accepted you even if you hadn't gotten your insurance that day? Yes. Right. Yeah. I want to make that point clear that it oh, wasn't yeah. us telling you... No, no. That go was... get insurance. It was you just doing that on your own, but... right. The reason I came out and met you that day is because when Dan was telling me what you endured that day, I was like, where is this guy? Mm -hmm. And my point is, if you can do that, you can do anything to sustain sobriety, which obviously you have. That's a great story. Well, thank you. I, yeah, I, a lot of that was... I mean, yeah, I, I did. I wanted to, you know, make sure I could be here. It was just, you know, it, it got to the point. It was that critical, and it was where I wanted to be. When I walked in here, I knew, I think I've, I've told you before, that it, uh, if I had, if you could have made me picture in my mind what the perfect place to learn how to be sober and alive is, I would have painted the picture of this because I just didn't know enough about it before. And what I did know was skewed with different opinions of, of you know, it, it was just never, it was not factual, not from what I've experienced. And, you know, if you told me I could work out, I could get healthy, I could do all these things. And that was, that was not what I knew uh, sobriety was about. It was about you do this, you do this, and you're probably still going to screw up and that part of it. And you do that, you know, it was just the picture that had been painted in my head. And, and I know it works for some people, but it was not for me. There was no emotional connection. There was no drive for for I could feel great I could be happy you know I didn't know what that was like I didn't know what happy was like I didn't remember you know that it was so so far gone um, and that's exactly what I found was I can lift I can do these things that I love to do already and love to do in my past when I when things were a little bit different and and then and get sober and live and actually not just exist you know but to go out do new things meet new people hit new you know changed my entire thought process and belief system about myself and it was just I, I can't I mean I could go on for days so 
you know, at Racing for Recovery, we don't do the war stories. So I want you briefly to tell me what your repeated choice to drink alcohol, what that did to you. Oh, I mean, so many different levels. I lost everything repeatedly, um, you know, relationships mostly. That that was the, at least that's the one that I think bore the most emotional scars was that I can constantly lied, deceived, um, financially impacted me hugely, uh, legally, you know, multiple DUIs. Um, but again, I was able, I, and I would gotten to a point after making these choices so many times where I was, I called myself, I was a world champion drunk. I could lose everything in 24 hours. Whatever I had, to, whatever I had amassed <laughs> Some humor during the period of sobriety, if you want to call it that, that I had in between these bouts of going back and drinking, I could lose instantaneously. And I was, like I said, I had really built some efficiency at it, unfortunately. Um, you name it, I've lost it because of this. Uh, my health, you know, had suffered at different points, um, financially, legally, you know, freedom, relationships, some very good relationships that I'm working on getting back and, and you know, working hard towards hopefully making amends and, and let my actions speak so that the trust can be rebuilt there. Um, I'm having a hard time of trying to be professional with you right now because I, you know, I do have a tendency to be professional, but, uh, you know, as you know, uh, my grandma is a huge part of why racing for recovery is here. And I keep looking at that hat and her being a diehard Ohio state fan. I mean, why, you, I know you're staring at this hat, so we have to mm. do something when this is over to change your appearance, or I, my grandma's just going to be up in heaven having another heart attack or whatever. So we're going to change that. But anyway, okay, we can moving forward. Uh, you sent me an interesting text from your mom last night. Yeah. And I think the word skeptical mm -hmm. was used in there, which we earn from our Absolutely. repeated choices to drink. Tell me about how that text message she sent to you, how it made you feel and what it felt like to send that to me. It, it was pretty amazing. The, the gist of it was, again, my mom has watched, she's been supportive of me, but I mean, after several times of me getting sober and then deciding to go drink again because of my own personal demons. And, and, and again, the, I, what I, the other thing that I never did prior to coming here was ever get at the root cause of the, the trauma, mm -hmm. the pain, what kept me going out, what started me drinking and what, what, what kept me out there? What was my pitfall that was this created this constant cycle? And through this place, I have been able to address that and continue to work on that and, and begin to live again. So she had seen me go out and have extended sobriety, but then go right back to it, you know? So it's that, when's the other foot going to fall, you know, constantly. And I got a text from her the other day, um, again, right on the, the cusp of this, the, my year of consistent sobriety that was telling me how this transformation was different this time that she could, she could see that, that she could tell that, yep. that it was so much more fun to celebrate at this time because it, and the truth of it is it is real. That's the big difference. This is not me hoping that I'm going to stay sober. It's knowing it's knowing because it's real this time. It's not hiding behind some facade or believing aimlessly in some, not to, again, not to knock on anybody, but another program where I'm just white knuckling and saying, God, I hope this works. 
it's not like that this time. This is substance. It's built on a solid foundation of hard work and consistent effort and things that I've been taught here that I'm no longer afraid. I'm not, there's no fear involved in, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, before I think be, being able to cope with situations in the real world was always taken on a very, very thin line with me. It was always a balancing act. You know, oh crap, am I going to lose this? You know, am I going to, am I going to do this right? And even if, you know, one thing that I've learned here is that, you know, failure in sobriety is one thing. I, it's okay. I can fail over and over again because I can keep getting back up and keep trying as long as I don't make the decision to go back out. And I can't do anything when I'm drunk. So as long as I stay sober, I'm going to make mistakes. But it ain't the end all. It's not a failure. It's not a stamp that says, see, you weren't good enough to do that. It's no, I just didn't make it that time. And I can continue to, you know, I like to set goals now that are beyond my reach so that, not, you know, people are like, well, you're not going to reach those. Yeah, but I can become the guy that can reach those now. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of the work. So it's the, the it was built this time. The big thing that meant so much to me for my mom, because it could be, she could see that. And what felt even better is I know it's real. I knew it's true. It's built on honesty this time, not on what I hope to be and what I can eke out as a lie or, or embellish something to make it something it ain't. It's real this time. So, You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that we only had one scheduled individual counseling session. I think I met yep. with you once. Yep. Okay. I'd like to know like what that did for you. Not, I want to make this clear. It's not what I did for you. What is the information that I shared with you one time that has appeared to have worked or was a catalyst to get you to start doing the work that you have put into this? How did that, what was, let me say it this way. The information I gave you that day, what resonated with you to get you to actually do it, to lead you to the success story that you are today? Well, um, it, yeah, we only had the one official. We've had a lot of informal ones, right. um, you know, that weren't sitting, I guess, at this desk. But that day, I mean, the one one big factor I got to say, I was ready to get this weight off, and and that I think that was a the, a critical thing. But it was, and again, it kind of hinges back to meeting you and, and the way that you told me, you know, and I've had people here tell me that, you know, we'll love you. I, I hated who I was and I hated who I had become. And it was, it was a lot of saying, don't worry about that. We'll love you until you learn how, mm. you know, and not only that, but the, they walk the walk here. It's not just, Hey, we'll tell you that and forget who you are the next day. It just doesn't happen. It's in, in my case, it certainly has never happened. And then when we started talking, it was, I was trying to come out with honesty that I really didn't know how to do. I had never, I hadn't done it in 40 years. You know, I, it was not something that I had, it was trying to uncover these things that I felt about myself that were not good enough that in my mind, I pictured I was not worthy of, I, I should be punished. I felt like because of my actions and because of the destructions that I had caused, I should be punished. And you introduced to me the fact that I was not, my actions did not reflect what I was made up of as a person. You know, I did some heinous stuff. I did some some despicable things, told some despicable lies. But that didn't make me a terrible, horrible person. It was just these hurts that I wanted to cover up. It was these things that 
were my actions under the influence of alcohol or the deception, the whole life of it, you know, it, it, with things I did, not who I was, and that I could change that. And the fact that me going out and drinking was a choice, you know, it was these things that gave me power. I used to use the whole alcohol as a disease as a crutch for me. That was my excuse to go out and drink. I was expected to because I had a disease. And I never could come to terms with that. You know, I mean, that was like, I'm doomed. I mean, you're telling me I'm going to live like this? And I believed it. Mm -hmm. And even though I thought maybe I could change it, I had so many people tell me I couldn't that I was going to side with them because it was easier just to go drink. And now it's just, it's easier to make the decision not to. You know, I mean, I, I have so much now that I never would give that away. And it is my choice. It, it's for, I think, for all of us. Every single time we've decided to do that, it is a decision that we decided we wanted to do that. That's why we did. So my big thing was the want to get to the reasons of why I want to feel different than I do. And one was because I just didn't feel very good because I wasn't in shape. I wasn't doing a lot of the things that, have, you know, healthy, happy people do. And once I got on the road to doing that, I knew my stress levels were an all-time low. My anxiety is at an all-time low. My, I feel good about the way I look, the way I live. I feel strong. You know, there's just so many things that are positives. Why change that? You know, if anything, I just want to make those better. You know, I never felt good drinking. I never felt good hiding, lying, deceiving the people I love. That was never a pleasure. It was a hell. It was a punishment. But I always felt I had to be punished. And why not me punish me? Because I know where to hit. I know where it hurts. So that's what I did. And that was a repetitive cycle on and off. And any time that I felt like I wasn't perfect, that was failure to me. And again, just with one sitting here behind, you know, with one clinical session, you were able to dispel a lot of these beliefs I had about myself, that, that this was some endless road, that this was... I believed up until that point that, that I was a bad person. These were not actions I had done under the influence or just in, under the, the whole weight and throes of alcoholism. This was who I was. It was, who, it was a disease. But you and the people here have made me know that's not the case. These are things that I did. I don't always have to be that guy, you know, or try to find some guy with false beliefs and principles and morals and values. I can be me, and that's good enough. You know, we've been doing these podcasts for a little bit now, and I'm picturing the guy or the family that's in Tucson, Arizona, that is so used to the drunkologues and the war stories, and I drank this and I smoked that. Not one of your comments has been anything to do with a quantity of how much you did and how many cars you crashed. It mm -hmm. always has to do with... I was feeling this way. I chose to make a, uh, a decision to drink alcohol to deal with that. And look where my life became. And then it immediately turns into I make a choice to do the positive things and boom, we're off and running. I love that about racing for recovery. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, I think it was within the first month you were here, you went with, now I'm going to start laughing, went with me to... Uh, to Ironman Maine. It was yeah. just Iron, a half Ironman in Maine. Talk to me about that trip. That What's was, it done for you? That changed my life. There's no question about it. That was, I got to go with guys that are, you know, still sober, still good friends of mine. And that was kind of what bonded us all. I think at that, that very trip, you know, none of us knew each other that well when we went, 
But during that trip, the group of us got to know each other very, very well. And it was amazing on so many levels. I couldn't believe that in a month, and I don't think anybody that knew I went could believe it either. And that was kind of what, in my immediate circle, kind of shed the light on Racing for Recovery and what it does here is in a month and a half, we, we take this huge trip. You get in a van, you know, going to watch an Ironman in Maine, a state I'd never been in before. I'd never been to New England before in my life. So going up there and staying in this awesome house that this great guy had donated, you know, he, he put up these professional triathletes and guys that come up there to do things. And it was just, it was like a dream come true. We stayed in this gorgeous place. And then, but I think the the experience, not only the camaraderie, but just the joke. Man, I've never laughed so hard in my life, I think, is where we got introduced to Sebastian Maniscalco as a comedian, or I did anyway. Mm-hmm. And man, I... I hurt from laughing that whole time, you know, but then the amazing part of this was just another building block of what affirmed to me of what people are capable of and what people can do when I got to see the Iron Man for the first time and watch this incredible collection of so vastly diverse people start and finish what I was looking at and deemed an impossibility of the human body. It was just to watch, you know, I I saw amputees, you know, people that a blind man, uh, you know, people that looked like they were grossly overweight and you think, how could you possibly start and finish this? And the bottom line is they, they're, they, they convinced their mind convinced the body it was going to do this and to know and see up front and close and personal the amount of drive and the amount of love and it was so positive there was not a negative person at this entire event there's two thousand people out here i think and it was just jumping the entire time with positivity and i told i said i've touched on before i've always had this problem in my head about this perfection if it wasn't perfect it wasn't good enough you know and that's kind of how I, I I built myself up over the years was failure after failure and not being good enough and I one thing I noticed at the Ironman was that man yeah the winner crosses the thing and gets cheered but it's almost like as soon as he crossed everybody's looking you know back down the line of these people coming across and the last person got as many cheers and as many people standing there as that first guy did you know it was it was a triumph for that person you know it was not about who won this race I, I couldn't i bet nobody can remember the name you know except the guy who won probably but every single person it was this battle with themselves what am i capable of what am i willing to endure to to do what i want to get done in my life and this is part of my life and that's it was just an amazing triumph of the soul for these people and watching everybody do it and their reactions what that must have felt like so it was it was just that amazing and then to watch you do it you know we were just like to have that up close and personal you know with you every day is just that constant reminder of what what we're really capable of i think a lot of us whether you're an addict or not we sell ourselves so short of what we can really do out there and that's just something i feel like i've been reborn in here because it's like my life's starting over again with a whole different perspective of what i i am capable of and what i'm proving myself capable of versus what i what I used to think I was incapable of. And it's just, like I said, it, it's been, it's been a total 180. And that, that trip just solidified, I, I think to a person, every one of us that went on that trip, we still talk about it and talk about how it changed our lives and that we got to see some of these, everything in it was pure and honest and true and real. And nobody can stand there and tell me, oh yeah, some people can, no, 
I think anybody can do it if you really want to do it. You know, the thing that's, and I find myself talking about these trips a lot. And again, I don't want people to think, oh, it's all about the Ironman. Mm. Well, the truth be told is if I hadn't done my first Ironman, we wouldn't, this whole program right. wouldn't exist. The point of me bringing these up is if we look like statistically, you go around how many of these things we've done with how many people, it's like 95% of the people are still sober. Mm -hmm. And for me doing them, it's a relatability factor. I want, and you're validating this, which I'm, I'm proud of. It's not about, you know, look at me, I'm doing this Ironman. Mm -hmm. It's taking the term Ironman and making it applicable to sobriety. You had mentioned this earlier, that drive. Well, you put that same drive into anything in recovery, you'll get it. It's the racing for recovery slogan. With sobriety, anything is possible. It's never for me about comparing. It's I want to take these guys on something and have them relate to this in any capacity. The nicest thing, we had some funny stuff up there. The, the Johnson comment at the uh, <laughs> thing was hilarious. When yes, I always I do that ordering food. But you had said to me when I made that, joke when they asked me the name of our order and I said Johnson for you that was like this dude is one of us mm -hmm. and that solidified why I do what I do it's the relatability factor if I can do this you can do it too and again looking at you now with a year of sobriety on tomorrow it's like that that validates everything we do so let's move on to this uh tell me what it was like to meet my buddy Dave Rude from Tesla in Chicago this past February. What was that like? See, that's another perfect example of something I'd never ever experienced somewhere else. You know, that's uh, that was too cool, man. I mean, and it was again a reinforcement. He just seemed like such a normal guy. You yeah. see him up, you know, the guitar player for Tesla up on stage, and we're watching him in concert in this awesome balcony. You know, it was just an incredible experience at the House of Blues in Chicago, and. You know, he's grease seats, he's pointing, you know, from just, and, and again, none of that would be possible if it weren't for continually doing, you know, the things that, that made this great. But, you know, it, it felt like a personalized concert almost to start with, you know, because he, he had Tesla pointing up at different songs, you know, where they were flashing back to, to some of the, you know, music from Running With Demons and things mm -hmm. of that nature. But then after the concert, you know, we had a blast of a day again, like we always do, but it was waiting afterwards and you guys texting back and forth where we're going to meet and everything. And every, I know the group of us, we all started to get nervous because we're about to meet Dave Rude, you know, the guitar player and the, and the legendary, you know, band Tesla. And he comes walking out, you know, hair back in a ponytail, looking nothing like he did on stage. And just to totally normal. You guys start having this conversation about your daughters and dogs. And I, you know, and we're all just kind of mesmerized standing here like little kids, like, this guy's normal too, you know, what's going on here? And it was, do you remember what you asked him? Cause that's why I brought this story up. Do you remember what you asked him? I, I think so. Well, I mean, I, I think I asked him because I wondered if, you know, if he always thought he would be, uh, you know, a guitar player in a huge band at this level at this, you know, did it was, was it always something he knew or was it something that he kind of figured out along the way and decided, uh, you know, Oh, maybe I can make it. But and he kind of answers like this is what he always expected he was going to do. And there's a there's always a point of why I ask these things, because when you ask that question, it reminded me 
of when I first stopped. I knew I was done drinking and I knew I was going to do something. I didn't know what, Mm -hmm. but I knew I was going to do something. And it's the exact way that Dave answered that. I knew I was going to play music. I just didn't know I was going to be in Tesla. And again, the relatability factor, and we're going to get to this too. I'm sure you didn't think that you were going to have us help you get a CDCA and potentially hire you here. And now that's coming. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's the point of a couple of things. A, I listen to people, you know, and when you said that, I'm like, I will use that for the rest of our relationship about how it's, again, that's that power of visualization of knowing I can do something. It's our slogan, with sobriety, anything is possible. Absolutely. And when you asked him that, I'm like, God, that's so applicable to my life, the life you're now creating, his life, mm-hmm. it's all relatable, you know? and I. I even think of this, the first time I heard Tesla was at this Sylvania Quarry and I was drunk and smoking pot and a friend of mine introduced him to me. And then I'm thinking of that and then here we are talking to him. And it's those same things. It's like choice A to stop drinking leads to experience B, C, D through Z of this is awesome. And you're, you're validating that, you know, and I love it. So tell me, let's talk about the CDCA and you getting that and mm-hmm. now going to be joining us. What's that like for you? That's I, you know, I, I didn't really speak it out loud. Cause I, I was again, had those that hang up that I would jinx it out of existence possibly. But once I stepped in here, knowing I always wanted to during bouts of sobriety, even though it wasn't unhappy sobriety, there was periods that I knew that if I knew anything in this world, it was how to be a drunk and it was what it cost me and the things that have affected me. And I figured if I, if I was ever going to be able to teach something out of my own failures, it was going to be, um, hopefully how to pass on the message and hope for somebody that the sobriety is possible. Happy sobriety is possible. And once I found this place, and like I said, I felt like I had walked into a lifestyle that was contoured to me getting sober, not everybody else out there, but like this was built for me. And I still feel that way. I I really do. I have yet to find a single thing that I don't agree with here. And I, from that day, I said, I want to work here someday. I will do whatever it takes to make myself, you know, put myself in a position where I can contribute to what is going on here. And you know, I, I knew I, from from talking to you and, and different people in the staff here, which I always refer to, I, I, I say it's the SEAL team here. It is it is because the staff here have all got their own little niche in it and everybody's got their own incredible gift that they bring to the table and it all meshes together so well that it's fun to watch and it's, it's amazing and just incredible feel. You know, I, I feel like the staff here to me and everybody, they feel like family. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different. So it's, it, it's such a comfortable feeling, but it's at that point, I knew that there were things I was going to have to do, you know, not, not to mention this. I, I know I don't mention sobriety a lot because to be honest now that I expect that, that that's part of my life. That's like me waking up in the morning. That's what's going to happen. If it were different, we got a serious problem, but right. I, that, that, so I don't really harp on that that much because that's just, that's who I am. That's part of my life. And that's how it's going to be. And that's how I expect to be. But it's, uh, I knew there was some things I was going to have to do and the CDCA being, you know, a requirement, you know, here that that's, you, you have to get that to, to be, uh, 
part of this. And so I came in, you know, we talked about it individually and then Todd Bieber, you guys said, Hey, let's, let's get this done. If this is what you want to do, let's do this. So Todd sat me down and took care of everything, man, you know, and it was just, uh, it's amazing. So I went through, got it. And, and now, uh, soon hopefully live the dream man this is i I can't i would never want to be somewhere else Mm. this is not because racing for recovery does it like dan always says i I can't put it any better it's done right here Mm -hmm. and i believe with all of my heart it fits my values it fits my belief i believe 100 percent in the way it's done here is done right it's the way it should be done i think it, it it can influence the most amount of people and I think even in the meeting last night we touched on when you read from the new book, um, it was, this place is good for people, period. It's not just addicts. It's not the just the family of addicts. It's good for people, man. People, I, there should be a requirement that people can be, come through here and check out what's really going on so that they can see what a holistic lifestyle can do for you, I mean, as a person, and help you get over, you know, all of us, I think, to an extent, have some kind of you know hang up some you know different different parts of us that we wish were different you know and even if you're not struggling with addiction or or different uh, behaviors of that nature it's there's there's things you can learn about yourself here just from from pushing and consistent action and choices and the things that are that are they're driven here but I wouldn't want to work somewhere in a clinical environment somewhere else and put that into play because you know I'm I it just it doesn't mesh with what I believe and everything that's that's here, you know, with the way that this being a lifestyle and not a program and it's the truth. It's it it's if well, in my opinion, if you want it to last, it's gotta be the truth. Mm-hmm. So I don't wanna be part of another environment that's trying to tell you, you know, the more traditional approach that this is how this works and you're a victim and you're a, you know, it's not a choice, it's a disease. I, I don't I don't buy those things anymore. And so this is this is where I want to be for the rest of my life doing that. So, so one final question I have for you. There's a guy who's in his mid forties, lost everything to drinking. He's sitting in Atlanta, Georgia. Somehow stumbles upon this interview right now. Speak to that dude. What's available for him? His life rebirth. It's it's going to be a lot of hard work. It, you, you really got to want to do this. And the first thing you got to do is put that bottle down. You know, put that bottle down. Maybe start giving some thought to why am I doing this to myself? Why do I not like me? And I, you know, that was a question that I had to ask myself. And, you know, at that point where I came here, I knew the some of the answers to that. Um, will it go, you know, will it go away completely? No, but I... It's always something that I'll be able to manage now. You know, I've, I've likened it to, I used to have a, a, you know, those cartoon high voltage switches that you see, you know, in the where they flip it up and down and it jolts everything. Just about anybody could walk up and flip my switch that way and send me out running and drinking because of fear. But now it's kind of like that switch is, I can still see it on the wall, but there's no current running to it anymore. You know, you can flip it all day and you're not going to send me off the rails to go drink again because there's nothing there for me. I know it feels like it's too late sometimes. Did it, Have I waited too long as my life passed me by? Look at all these things. Man, you have no idea what's still out there mm. and what you're capable of. You just got to give yourself a chance to to like who you are, to love who you are. That's, you know, that's got to be part of it, I, I think, so, because, you know... It, 
every penalty, every punishment, every negative consequence of my drinking was not enough to make me stop. Okay. Because that the punishment was what I was seeking out because I felt I deserved it. And until I changed the way I thought about that with help of the fact that it wasn't who I was, it was what I did. Okay. I didn't deserve to be punished anymore. And I was punishing myself enough for a hundred, an army of people. Once you can start to get that, and that's what is here, you know, that's what these doors, this, what this place is all about. It's figuring out who you are and being okay with that because it's good enough. And once you start to realize that, that putting down the bottle or whatever it is, it comes second nature. You, you're not going to hurt yourself anymore. Dude, I'm proud of you. Um, I just want to say for everybody who's watching Racing for Recovery, Eric said it brilliantly. This program really is for everybody. If you or a loved one's battling addiction, get a hold of us so you can talk like this young man has been doing. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you next week.